around 1467 in a civic hall in San Sepolcro, Italy, Piero della Francesca painted a masterpiece simply titled Resurrection. Experts believe that Piero completed his work anywhere from 1467 to 1468 on a wall in a room in the town hall. Piero's work portrays a living Jesus stepping out of the tomb on that first Easter Sunday with the marks of crucifixion on his hands and on his side. There are some sleeping guards in the picture as well, sleeping in some rather uncomfortable positions, in my opinion. But the point of the picture is a living Jesus. The point of the picture is that Jesus came out of the tomb. Fast forward to 1925. A man named Aldous Huxley wrote an essay entitled The Best Picture. In the essay, Huxley makes the claim that Piero's work, The Resurrection, is the greatest picture in the world. That's what he said. There's no picture better than this. In the essay, Huxley states, when at last one has arrived in San Sepulcro, what is there to be seen? A little town surrounded by walls, set in a broad, flat valley between hills, some fine Renaissance palaces with pretty balconies of wrought iron. Sounds like a delightful place, right? Well, a not very interesting church is there as well. And finally, the best picture in the world. The best picture in the world is painted in fresco on the wall of a room in the town hall. It's very possible that Huxley's essay saved the painting of Resurrection Sunday, but it's not a story that is widely known. Fast forward to 1944 and World War II. British artillery captain Tony Clark was sent to the village of San Sepulcro with the command to blow it to smithereens and drive out the enemy. That was his task. That was his responsibility to bomb the town. Huxley, though, was a lover of art. And at some point before this event, he read Huxley's article, his essay, about the best picture, the greatest picture in the world. And he put two and two together and came to the conclusion, this is the town. This is the place, and I believe that painting is here. So he did not follow through on his orders. The report is that the Germans fled, and the town was liberated the next day, and there was no damage done to the 500-year-old piece of art. The people of San Sepulcro contend that they hold, and they have in their village, the greatest piece of art preserved during World War II, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think it's really hard to determine what is 
the greatest picture in all of the world. And it would be hard to declare, here is the greatest sight or the most beautiful sight in all of the world because we all would have a lot of opinions on what is the best painting or the most beautiful sight in the world. We would all differ on this and it would probably lead to a lot of argumentation over what is the best, what is the greatest. I read a book recently where the author stated, the manger and the cross are two of the most beautiful images the world has ever seen. So according to this author, it's the manger and the cross. These are the greatest images in the world. I would posit that the most beautiful sight in the world is the resurrected Christ. The greatest sight in the world is a living Jesus. What an astonishing thing to see for those who had the opportunity to observe and to look at a living Jesus. And what a wondrous thing to believe. Here's our big idea for today that will frame the rest of our conversation. And that is, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And we will spend the rest of our time thinking about what I believe to be the greatest sight in the world, a resurrected Christ. He has been raised from the dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. If you have a Bible or a device with you, I would invite you to join me in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. We're going to look at some of the words that the Apostle Paul wrote that are very interesting. He is presenting an argument, so to speak, of what if Christ has not been raised? Like, what would that mean and what would that look like for those who claim to be Christians, and he wrestles with that a little bit, and I think it's a great thing for us to consider today on this Easter Sunday. So here's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll begin reading with verse 14. The Apostle Paul states, And if Christ has not been raised, well, then all our preaching is useless. And, oh, by the way, your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. The argument continues. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. Verse 18, in that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Now, let's walk through the points of Paul's argument here. If Christ has not been raised, if there is no Easter Sunday, if Jesus never stepped out of the tomb with the marks of crucifixion on his hands and on his side, 
and on his feet. What Paul declares here are five thoughts. And so let's just think about these thoughts. If Christ has not been raised, number one, our faith is useless. And we see that word in the text here. The word useless comes from a Greek word that means unreal or ineffectual or unproductive. Practically, it has the idea of being godless. So the Apostle Paul is stating here, if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is godless. There's nothing really to it. It's not real and everything that they were doing and everything that we believe is ineffectual. It's unproductive. It doesn't mean anything at all. That's the first point. Our faith is useless. Number two, we are still guilty of sin. Or in addition to our faith not being real, there is still not an answer to the sin problem that affects all of humanity. We're still guilty of sin. Number three, we are lost. And no one likes being lost. It's not a good feeling at all. But if there is no resurrection, if Christ did not come back to life, then we are still lost. Number four, our hope is temporary, meaning it's only for this life and there's only a little bit of hope for this life and it does not carry forward into eternity. And then number five, we are more to be pitied than anyone, which has the idea in the construction of the sentence that we should be more miserable than anyone else on earth if Christ has not been raised. We're just miserable people. Wow. This sounds great, doesn't it? Five really sad thoughts. Happy Easter. Aren't you glad that you came to celebrate today? Welcome. Well, just so you know that I'm not going through some type of midlife crisis, can I read for you what Paul states next in verse 20? Because it turns everything around and it provides hope for each and every one of us. So here's what the Apostle Paul declares in verse 20. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen. Like this is a real thing. It's true. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And with this declaration, Paul basically refutes the five sad thoughts with the following. So let's build a better list, a more hope-filled list here on Easter 2022. It sounds like this, the better list. The Christian faith is full. Our sins are forgiven. We have direction. We have eternal hope. And we are anything but miserable. So this is the list. Indeed, Christ has been raised, so the Christian faith is full. It's full of all kinds of things, good things for us. Our sins are forgiven. We have direction and purpose for living. We have eternal hope that goes beyond life in the here and now, that takes us all the way into eternity and assures us of a home forever in heaven. And we are anything but miserable. All of this, this better list, 
because Christ is risen, which Paul had already established before he makes these statements. And we see that back in verse 3. So let's roll back up into the paragraph a little bit and keep thinking about what Paul is stating here. Verse 3, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Now I want to pause there for a moment before we continue to read because there's quite a bit in this little statement that we often overlook and we don't understand because we have to look at it in its historical context. I passed on to you, Paul is saying, what has already been passed on to me. Paul is saying here, I was given content at some point in my life and I wrestled with it. And as we'll discover in a moment, he probably even memorized it. So I had content given to me by my teachers, by my mentors, by spiritual advisors, stuff given to me, information about Jesus, who he was, how he functioned, how he lived and died and rose again. That was content given to me. And now I'm going to pass this content on to you. Scholars call this the language of traditioning. So in a unique way, that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He's traditioning. I've been given information. It's been passed on to me. So now I'm going to pass all of this on to you. In this culture, Jewish teachers would pass on their teachings to their students. And the students could write it down. They could take notes. But at this time, they really enjoyed memorizing what was given to them. And they were really good at memorization. Memorization was a central feature of the academic world in ancient tradition. And get this, it made oral tradition very accurate because they memorized things. And so they were given information. They were given content about stories from the past, historical events. And they would memorize that that was the best way they learned in antiquity. And then they would pass this on to other people. And it made oral tradition very reliable to the point where there could be some individuals here saying, hey, little Paulie, he is a machine at memorizing. And we know that he went to school and he sat under the best rabbis of the day and he memorized texts, he listened to stories, and he listened to historical events, and he put all of that into his mind. He memorized these things. So let's pay attention to little Paulie here, because he's great at memorizing. It's possible they may have said that about the Apostle Paul. He is traditioning here. Let's go on with what he declares, which Again, likely was part of something he memorized. He says, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. And then he kind of turns the corner here a little bit in verse 5. 
and states he was seen by Peter, speaking of Jesus, in his resurrected body now. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Verse 7, then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. And what we find here in 1 Corinthians 15 is that the apostle Paul a respected scholar. Again, he had the best training available to him in his day. A respected scholar and a brilliant man. He is making a case for the resurrection of Jesus by pointing out that there were eyewitnesses to a resurrected Jesus with the marks of crucifixion in his hands on his side, and on his feet. And people actually saw him. And that's what Paul begins to declare. He lists names and people, and we should pay attention to this as well. Paul states, people saw him. Peter saw him. James saw him. The 12 disciples, they saw him. 500 plus people on one day, a really significant statement, saw him. And, oh yeah, me, Paul, I saw him as well. Scholar Craig Keener captures the power of what Paul is presenting here with these eyewitnesses. And he says it this way, Paul's purpose in appealing to witnesses still alive may be to invite his readers to check his facts if they doubt his words. We may safely rule out the suggestion that the resurrection appearances were mass hallucinations because such a mass hallucination of a demonstrably physical person is virtually unparalleled in history. Were this evidence being cited for wars, about which we often take the word of a single ancient author or any other event in history, few today would think to deny it. And that's why I believe and why I submit to you on Easter 2022 that the greatest sight in the world is a resurrected Jesus because he's the only one who has the ability to turn graves into gardens. He did it. It would have been an astonishing thing to see for those who observe this in their day. And it's a wondrous thing to believe, which we all have the ability to do today. Let me share two takeaways as we wrap up our time together, and I would encourage you to write these things down so that you can come back to it at some point throughout this week and wrestle with what God wants for you. Takeaway number one, choose to believe in a resurrected Jesus. If you've never done that before, choose to believe in a living Jesus because he offers his life to you. 
And when we believe, when we trust in his saving work alone, his life and death and resurrection, well, we now have the opportunity to live out the better list presented in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We have hope. Our sins are forgiven. We are not lost. And our lives are not miserable because they have meaning in the person of Jesus Christ who lives. Maybe you've never thought about this before, but perhaps God the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart a little bit about the person of Jesus and who he is and what he has accomplished for us that we never could have accomplished on our own. If that's you and you're wondering about this, well, choose to believe in a resurrected Jesus because he offers his life and he invites us to trust, believe, in me. Here's the second takeaway. If you have believed, well, live as if the resurrected king has resurrected you. I think often as followers of Jesus, as believers, life kind of chips away at us and we lose hope and we don't really live with that confidence of purpose that maybe we once had when we believed and wow Jesus is everything and he's alive and I want to give my life to him and we kind of move from that point and life becomes usual and boring if you have trusted would you just allow this Easter and this celebration and the most beautiful sight in all of the world a living Jesus a resurrected Christ Will you allow that to inspire you and encourage you to live fully for him again? So if you have believed, live as if the resurrected king has resurrected you, live with hope, and then pass that on to others. Back to the big idea. Christ has been raised from the dead. He is risen. He is risen. Indeed, may God give us all the courage and the passion to respond to whatever he is planting in our hearts right now and to follow him fully and to rejoice in our resurrected Savior, the greatest sight in all of the world. Father, we are thankful for time on this Resurrection Sunday to think about Jesus and what he accomplished for us and what that means for our lives and this invitation to trust in you alone and to embrace your leadership and forgiveness. God, I pray that you would stir in each and every person here so that we can respond to you appropriately and in ways that honor you and also fill our lives with meaning and hope and purpose. We ask for this in the name of Jesus. I'd like for you just to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. Just to use a little bit of this quiet time here to think about what God may want for you on this Easter. 
Maybe you're here and you've never trusted in the living Savior. And that's making sense to you. And God is stirring in your heart a little bit about believing. Then I would just encourage you from your heart to the ears of God. Just lift up some thoughts to him and talk to him about trusting in Jesus and how you want that and you're doing that. Let him know that you're believing in the work of Jesus. Tell him that you're a sinner, that you don't get everything right and you believe that he came for you. Thank him for his leadership and for his forgiveness. Thank him for rescuing you and just tell him that you're trusting, you're believing. If that is something you have offered up for the very first time, I want to say congratulations to you. I believe this will be your greatest Easter celebration ever because you have the Son. You have a forever friendship in Jesus Christ who will never leave you. The resurrected King has resurrected you. Congratulations. Maybe you're here and that's something you've done, but you've kind of moved past the wonder of following Jesus. Then from your heart to his ears, would you just commit again to saying, Jesus lives. He lives for me. And he did something for me. He accomplished something on my behalf that I never could have done. So I will follow him with everything inside of me and just commit to doing that again. Father, I really believe that the greatest sight in all of the world is a living Jesus because of what that means for humanity. There are many people who saw him. The Apostle Paul talks about this, and we accept that by faith, and we believe. And we're thankful for this Easter and the opportunity we have to respond to who you are and to your greatness. Bless us. Encourage us. And for those that have trusted in the saving work of Jesus for the very first time, God, I ask that you encourage them in a very special way today. And may they know and may they sense that you are close for those that are kind of committing to saying, all right, I need to walk with my Savior again and renew that spirit of following him in every way. Encourage them, I do pray as well. And help us as a faith community, help us as followers to do everything we can to live with hope and then to pass that on to others. We thank you for this Resurrection Sunday. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Will you stand with me?
1 Corinthians 15, 20. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. It's good news for all of us. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And because of that, we can rejoice because of what God the Father has done through God the Son for each and every one of us. I want to invite you into this moment of worship and just to sing or to pray or to lift up these words in whatever way is good for you and allow this to be your anthem as you walk out of here in a few moments declaring that Christ is our King and he is risen indeed. Let's respond to him.